The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ethan Bierman. He is a nationally syndicated talk radio show, uh, show host and author of a new book called Liars and Whores, How Big Government and Big Business Are Working to Save Their Own Assets, Not Yours. Welcome to the show, Ethan. Well, Mr. Goodman, it is always a pleasure to be on with America's Money Answers Man. Uh, it's great to be on with you, too. So let's, for people who have not heard about you, tell a little bit more about your background. You've had a whole history before you got into radio and technology and so on. So give a little bit of your history uh, leading into doing the radio show and then leading into this book. Well, and they all tie together into the book, ultimately, in the end. I grew up in the Midwest. I was uh, came from a relatively normal suburban family, but... In my family, uh, we, it was a family business started in the depths of the Great Depression by my grandfather, and it's a sales business that they started called Food Brokerage. So I grew up around all these extroverted salespeople who were entrepreneurial and self-driven and understood the idea of a day's hard work is how you get things done in this world and being honest and integrity. And then I kind of grew up around that and decided, well, food brokerage wasn't for me. I got into technology. I was a nerd from uh, being a little kid and got into the world of technology. And I've worked on some of the big systems for Fortune 1000 companies and uh, helped found a company that's uh, high availability and disaster recovery, kind of for an underserved, small and medium-sized business market called Tech Data Safe. And uh, getting being out there and interacting and arguing with the television and everybody else. And, and I got into radio a few years ago, and it was a fun medium for me to, to plan. And it, it's worked out that uh, I'm able to do that and get paid for it as well, which is uh, great all the way around. And some of these ideas that I argue with listeners or with professionals and experts, yourself included, Jordan, um, really led me to sort through what I thought about what's happening in the world and how government's functioning and where I, I've, I've kind of come to certain ideas and solutions on a large number of topics that we face as challenges today. Now, you have, politically, you don't call yourself liberal, you're not conservative. What uh, school are you in? <laughs> how would you describe yourself politically? Well, I, I really believe in individual liberty. And it's, you know, people always want to label me. It's very interesting. I got into an argument with a very big national host the other week on this this exact question. I think it's very limiting to say you have to be liberal or conservative. It's very two-dimensional thinking in a three-dimensional world in which we live. Absolutely, there are topics where people think of me as very conservative. There are other topics where I've been accused of being very liberal. And it's, I try and take an intellectual approach, a rational approach to what I see as, as uh, appropriate solutions for the problems. And whether or not you want to call me conservative or libertarian or liberal or whatever that might be, 
you can call me what you want and you can swear at me, but in the end, I'm just trying to find ways for us to move forward in light of what originally made this country great. And I'm just going to say this, and this is where you're not going to think I'm a liberal. Gigantic centralized government is not how we got to where we are. So it's the core of it about individual liberty, individual responsibility, as opposed to having the government basically take care of things. Yes. And that doesn't at all mean that government doesn't have a valid and functional place. I mean, it abs- and I really talk about that. You know, I have a, a chapter of the book on the environment. And I really walk through why we have an environmental protection agency, kind of the history of that a little bit. And it makes sense to me that we have a Clean Water Act and a Clean Air Act. And we needed that to level the playing field. And I specifically address it from a business perspective. If I'm a conscientious manufacturer who's dumping my waste into the Cuyahoga River, for example, and I realize this is really bad, but I kind of have to do it because I'm in a cost competitive marketplace. And if I choose to install really expensive pollution control equipment, I'm not going to be price competitive in this market anymore because my costs are going to be so much higher. I needed the government to come in, level the playing field and say, we as a society are not okay with all of this pollution going on. So now everybody bears an equal cost and that levels the playing field in the market. So it does, there's a role for government sometimes. Now you, the title of your book, it's kind of fun, Liars and Whores, but it is quite an indictment of our political class. So let's start with the liars. So you, in the very beginning of your book, you say all politicians are liars, basically. Isn't that a little bit of hyperbole, or why do you think all politicians are liars? Well, let me give you a great example of why that is a true statement. They have to get elected. They can't tell us the truth all the time because we say, well, I don't want you to tell me the truth. I don't want to know the harsh reality that getting out of the economic problems and $18 trillion of debt that we have is going to be painful. So number one, it's almost impossible for them to be entirely truthful So because they won't get re-elected or maybe not even elected in the first place. Number two, one of the most honorable people I have ever known as far as politics was a very liberal progressive Democrat that I, who I voted for twice. His name was Paul Wellstone. He was a senator from Minnesota when I lived in Minnesota. And he was the most honorable man that I'd ever run across. And what happened, though, is he became a liar as well at the end before he tragically died. And that was when he first ran for Senate, he said, I will only serve two terms so I don't become part of the system that becomes corrupt. Well, what happened near the end of his second term? He had a change of heart and he ran for a third term, which made him a liar as Mm -hmm. well for as honorable as he was. Mm -hmm. And then so that's liars. And then whores. Basically, they have to raise money all the time. Or why are you calling the entire political class horse? Yes, because anybody and actually, interestingly enough, there is a candidate for the Democrat Party nomination for president of the United States 2016 who I do not consider a whore. He's about the only one I can think of. And that's Jim Webb. He ran. He went. He served one term and he never ran for reelection. When they're running for re-election, they have to whore themselves out for the money. It is so expensive. You know, I almost ran for Congress. Did you know this about no. me, George? Yeah. I did not. 2000, I was a, a local talk radio host uh, in on the central coast of California, and I had built up uh, and, and really connected with the community and, and really involved in what was going on. And my listeners demanded and called for me to run against a 10-term incumbent. 
And I actually played it out. And I, I went and I interviewed political consultants. I, I garnered six figures in uh, verbal commitments to donate should I actually enter the race. Uh, and I went through that whole process and I realized I wasn't ready for it. So I didn't. But what was interesting is it became very clear to me at that moment that it is all about money. The, everybody talked about you're going to have to raise seven figures. You're going to have to spend 16 hours a day making phone calls and pressing the flesh to raise money. It's not even about where you stand politically or how you're going to make uh, things better. It's how to raise money because you have to have enough money to beat an incumbent. So, so what happens if you're in a situation like Ross Perot or I guess Steve Forbes had a ton of money or, cur or currently Donald Trump right. who doesn't need money from anybody – that makes them not horse? That, that does actually make them not horse. And uh, another great example from Minnesota when I lived there was Jesse Ventura. Mm -hmm. he, I voted for him for governor. And he actually was an effective governor for part of his term because he owed nobody. He didn't, he didn't belong to a political party. He was completely independent. He didn't run on a Democratic ticket or a Republican ticket. He ran as an independent. He ran against lifetime Republicans and Democrats. And he got he reformed the property tax system in Minnesota. He reformed the license uh, registration tax system in Minnesota. Two things that were off limits to Democrats and Republicans because too many people had vested interests in those things. He was able to take them on and change them and reform them in a way that nobody else would have. His problem, and this is the problem I see with Donald Trump right now, he had thin skin and couldn't take criticism very well. You wouldn't think a wrestler would have thin skin. <laughs> I know, of all things. And he's a total tough guy. <laughs> and the other one who comes to mind is Michael Bloomberg, who didn't need anybody either. So it can be done, but it's very rare is what you're saying. But now, and now the problem with that approach is now you're not an every guy who's running. You are a very specific, um, I mean, you're kind of the billionaires club, which how can a... I mean, very rarely can a billionaire relate to the average person anymore. Michael Bloomberg can't. Donald Trump can't. Steve Forbes can't. I mean, none of these people grew up poor and made their fortune. You know, uh, a Kerkorian that just did. passed. Ross Ro 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 You're right. Ross Perot was the only one, but he kind of went a little nutty. There. <laughs> yes. He got 20% of the vote as well, so it can sure. be done. But basically, so what is the, the impact of having the political class be whores, basically, that they would depend on money, does that mean that they can't follow the right policies because they're indebted to people? That's exactly what it is. It's impossible if you study human psychology at all. People might make the argument, and they'll make this argument, well, just because somebody donated to my campaign doesn't mean I'm swayed to them. Yes, but when you start getting hundreds of thousands of dollars donated through PACs now and super PACs, or whether it's unions on the Democrat side or super PACs under Citizens United on the Republican side, that money buys influence. They no longer can do the right thing for the average person in our country. Anymore. It just doesn't happen. But this has always been true, maybe not at the very beginning of the country, but for the most part, I mean, we had the big trusts and Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt broke up the big trust. So it can be done. I mean, we've had political influence by money pretty much from the beginning of our society. So what's different about it now? Well, what's different now is technology. And as a, as a technologist, I embrace and I support technology where it makes our lives better. And when you open up your Facebook news feed today, it's not better. 
Those things are not making us better. Twitter is not making us better. Open commenting on the internet does not make us better. It takes us to the lowest common denominator. It makes us worse. And they prey upon that. So when I scan a Facebook news feed, for example, I see people reading a headline and jumping to conclusions and eviscerating and excoriating and, and minimizing the other side who doesn't agree with them. There is not real debate that happens. Actually, I thought Fox News Channel last Thursday night did a pretty darn good job in that first Republican debate. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so is there a potential solution that's realistic to take money? I mean, we did have the presidential campaign fund, which came up after Watergate, to take money out of politics. I mean, there have been attempts to do this. Is it completely hopeless that we'll ever get money out of politics? Nothing is ever completely hopeless, Jordan. And there really is hope. What matters, this is a populist call for us, and it's a grassroots call to say enough of the money, start electing your neighbor into politics, start getting engaged in local politics, first and foremost before presidential politics. Vote for your neighbor before you vote for a professional politician. That's number one. And then number two, when you start electing those people, it's time to only have Social Security numbers able to donate politically, not corporations, not unions, not everybody else, but only individuals. Of course, the Supreme Court said that's uh, suppressing First Amendment rights because corporations are people, too. And I address that in my book and how to, how to take that on. We need to change the code around that. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ethan Bierman. He's a nationally syndicated talk radio host, author of the new book, uh, Liars and Whores, How Big Government and Big Business Are Working to Save Their Own Assets, Not Yours. You can find out more about it at a website, liarsandwhores.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is nationally syndicated talk radio host and author of the new book, Liars and Whores, How Big Government and Big Business Are Working to Save Their Own Assets, Not Yours, Ethan Bierman. Welcome to the show, Ethan. Mr. Goodman, great to be with you. All right, so let's start off. You begin with what you call the problem. Now, we talked about it a little bit, but just in brief, what is the problem that you're trying to solve with this book about uh, why government officials are lying and whoring themselves all the time? Well, it really is three simple words, and that is follow the money. And that is such a mistake that people make regularly. I, I Look, I've been guilty of it, too. You got to follow the money. Whenever you hear some kind of a proposition come out from a, a politician that involves spending money, follow who it's going to, who donated to that politician's campaign, and what they stand to gain from it. And really, that is the core issue. Follow the money. But the other part of this book, and ultimately my, my ultimate goal of this book and getting it out there and talking to people and talking to you, Jordan, is to get people thinking. And to think about things a little bit differently, to think a little bit more critically. And again, it all starts with follow the money. Now, you have what you call the Transparency International Corruption Perceptions Index. Maybe describe briefly what that is and how does the U.S. rate in how corrupt our politicians are compared to the rest of the world? Oh, well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't make it up. It literally is a group called Transparency International that came up with this corruptions, uh, excuse me, corruption singular perceptions index and we are tied for 17th least corrupt nation in the world and that's a perception by people and so you think to yourself well that's not too bad right out of uh, 180 or so countries if we're 17th best that's not so bad why should we be 17th best? Why shouldn't we be number one? I mean, you would think that the United States wants to be number one in anything that's a good measurement. And a good measurement here would be that we're first, not number 17. And really what it is, it's a, it's a poll that they do. And it's a, it's a very um, intensive and it's a broad, it's not a tiny sampling that they extrapolate. It's a relatively large statistical sample that they then extrapolate from. But what's so interesting to me from Transparency International is, who do we think are the most corrupt in in terms of what who the American people view? And this is a there were a lot of categories, but number one is political parties are most corrupt, and number two, second most corrupt are our actual legislator, and then number three are our public officials and civil servants. This is not good. Yes, and then the other one is uh, business. You say that big business has had a series of scandals as well, so there's a. They're not very high on the public perception. Yeah, they're number four. <laughs> so, so what is it? I mean, supposedly they're teaching ethics in schools and business schools and uh, doing right things, and people go to church and pray, and they're all going to do the right things. What, what happens along the way here? <laughs> it's that core little human thing that we have called greed. And that we just get so, you know, we get a taste of it. And we go, oh, I, I see how I can make some money. 
And well, if I just push it a little bit further this way and a little further that way, now I can make millions. I absolutely 100 support percent support market, the markets and capitalism. And I believe in people having great ideas and making money. I cite specifically people like Steve Jobs and Larry Ellison. You create something, you make something, you should be able to make billions of dollars. The problem comes in, and this is my big issue right now with the current state of Wall Street, among other places, is we have this class of very mediocre, in my mind, managers who make tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars for not being creative, for not creating, for simply managing an enterprise. And I'm going to tell you, some of them are no better than average middle managers. And they make all this money and they manipulate the system. When we get this little incestuous series of boardrooms voting for each other's pay raises. And I'm totally against it. I don't believe that. And I give that example in the book of, I, I serve on the board of company A. Jordan, you serve on the board of company B. And Jane over there serves on the board of company C. And we all have this little incestuous circle of making sure everybody gets a $10 million uh, salary. And who's looking out for the employee? Who's looking out for the shareholder? And I think that there still are some real weaknesses there. And I actually appreciate Walt Disney is one of the companies I cite in my book of actually putting out some new rules around how this works. And supposedly that will get us on the right path. Now, all the people you talk about in the book mostly ended up in prison. You've got Bernie Madoff, Kozlowski of, of Tyco, Ken Lay, he died, but Enron was kind of put out of business. Raj Rajaratnam of Galleon, he ended up in prison. So on and on it goes. So you could make an argument. Yes, they did bad things, but the SEC found them, convicted them, put them in jail. They paid huge fines, so the system works. Oh, well, I could only get away with naming in a public forum like a book those that have been convicted. I can't name people where there is a lot of, well, let's call it rumors and innuendo hanging around. And particularly when you start looking at the case, for example, that was on the business side. We just had an issue here. You, I don't know if you heard the case of State Senator Leland Yee here in California, mm -hmm. who got caught and indicted and immediately pleaded guilty. And the case went away very quickly. And we find out now when you start reading through the actual testimony that the FBI filed in the case, and it came out in, in an associate case here from a guy named Shrimp Boy Chow from the Chinese, allegedly of the Chinese mafia uh, in Chinatown there in San Francisco, we find out that the FBI actually has evidence against Mayor Ed Lee, against a, the, the head of the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco, against so many different politicians, and they never filed charges. Why didn't they file the charges? I guarantee that the same is the case with the SEC, where they have tons of information on lots of people doing things that are crooked and wrong and cheating and stealing from you and me, and they don't have what they consider quite enough evidence to fully press charges. Now, does that make it okay? Yeah, probably does not. All right, so we now understand the problem is all this corruption and money. Now, your chapter two is on the solution. What do you see as a solution for this kind of endemic corruption you see everywhere? Well, I get, it really, again, starts with you and with me. It starts with just anybody and everybody. We need to start reading past headlines. You need to stop just accepting 
Well, my pal, who's a Democrat, I'm a Democrat, he's a Democrat, he says those nasty Republicans did this, or on my friends on the Republican side, well, you know, that nasty Democrat said that, therefore they're wrong. My side said this, therefore they're right. It's called critical thinking. And if anybody took a, a philosophy class in college or a logic class, which was probably one of my favorites, uh, in college, you start understanding you can't just accept what somebody tells you. Again, I go back to that Facebook news feed, your Twitter feed, wherever else. We are now at this point where technology has made us even worse than before, that we get fed a headline that feeds our bias, and then it becomes confirmation bias, and we never ask the questions past us. Simply read the article, an actual article, past the headline is the first place to begin. I mean, you could say one of the reasons why the country is so bifurcated today and, and completely gridlocked is because people are just looking at what they want to look at, and they don't want to look at alternative arguments because it doesn't fit into their worldview. And it's made us almost impossible to get compromise on almost anything. Well, I mean, and that's half the story. The other half of the story is we are at a place right now where if you are a working parent, uh, and let's say you're, you're a two-parent household, both of you are generally working, and you come, you get, you go off to a full day at work. You send your kids to school. You're, you come home and you're exhausted, and you got all these things to deal with, and and you're making dinner, and you got to deal with homework, and you got to get the trash out. And man, I just want to have a beer and watch the latest Game of Thrones, right? And go to sleep, and the next day starts again. You don't have time for it, so yeah. you've put your trust in these elected leaders who assign bureaucrats to head agencies, and you've put your trust into them to do the right thing. And because of all the other things that we've been talking about, they're not doing the right thing. And they're taking advantage of the fact that you don't have the time or the energy or you haven't made the time to read past the headline. So let's go to a specific area, which is very controversial today, which is energy. So we just had recently, President Obama came out with this very dramatic plan to change our energy usage, really, from coal to uh, solar and biothermal and uh, kind of uh, renewable energies. Um, and, and it's going to cost billions and billions of dollars and cost lots of jobs. But he thinks this is a major priority. He, he may get sued on it, but it's probably going to go through by the time the lawsuits happen, it'll have been into effect. What, what is your view towards what we should be doing in the energy sphere? Well, it's interesting. So it, this I call it the move of money from one oligarchy to another. And it's the selected few that are politically connected. You know, we can talk about the Elon Musks and the Al Gores of the world. And that's what it is. It's a movement from the old hydrocarbon crowd to the new quote-unquote green energy crowd. And it's going to be, it's devastating. All it's doing is costing us a lot of money it's taking it from taxpayers and ratepayers and moving it from one group to another. And I'm totally against this type of an approach. Now, ultimately, the problem with these green energy sources is we've invested hundreds of billions of dollars now in them, either through direct tax and ratepayer subsidies or indirectly in many other ways. You know, you go buy your new Tesla Model S and get a $7,500 federal tax credit for example. The problem is many of them are neither green, nor are they efficient, nor will they provide the energy, Jordan. And so you got to ask, and I'm sure that's your next question. So what can do that, right? Yeah. What can do that? What, what well, is the alternative what, if you don't do solar and biothermal and so on? 
Yeah, well, geothermal is the answer. Then that, that's the key. And you didn't hear the president talk about that. And that's kind of the sad joke about it is geothermal. So SMU and Google in 2011 published an IEEE uh, spectrum, the, the latest geothermal survey using enhanced geothermal systems. The United States is better than anybody in the world at doing what? Drilling holes in the ground. If you go down between three and five kilometers, so a couple to three, four miles down, the earth is hot, hot enough to make water boil. You drill a hole in the ground, it makes the, you put some water down, it makes the water boil, turns to steam, steam spins a turbine, and it produces no pollution. And even Dr. Bill Wattenberg on one of my shows had to admit, and it's a base load power source. It's more efficient and effective than even a coal power plant. And that could be true anywhere in the country. You could do this. Almost anywhere. But we, we could produce 100 times our energy needs using geothermal. And so what if it's so great, what, what is the uh, roadblock to it? Well, there aren't enough, there's not enough money to be taken from people for it. It's very simple. There's an up, the big deal is you have to take out a mortgage. You'd have to sell a bond. It's a large upfront cost with a low ongoing cost for operating. Mm-hmm. But in places like uh, Iceland or New Zealand where they have it, it's easier that it's more economic is what you're saying. Yeah, and they don't have the massive – and they're, 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 they have different issues in terms of their governments. Here we've got the big unions uh, that are arguing, especially the, the state in places like California, saying we need more money for more workers because in California in particular, we're crushing the economy through our regulatory environment – uh, such as the energy costs here in California. I don't know about you. My top tier in California is 42 cents a kilowatt hour now. Mm-hmm. 42 cents a kilowatt. That's what green energy has done in California is it's made it entirely unaffordable. Geothermal, you do a 30-year bond on it, and it produces energy for the next 60 years with low ongoing operating costs. There's not enough money in it for people to line their pockets. So this is, is kind of problem. tying into what we are saying at the beginning. Because of economic interests, that they're not doing what's sensible is what you're saying. That's exactly right. Not I can't get enough. There's not a big enough lobby there that align my my uh, re-election campaign for me to want to push geothermal, which is the right solution. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ethan Bierman. He's a nationally syndicated talk radio show host. He's author of a new book we've been talking about called Liars and Whores: How Big Government and Big Business Are Working to Save Their Own Assets, Not Yours. There's a website related to the book, which is liarsandwhores.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Hello, this is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ethan Bierman. He's a nationally syndicated talk radio host. He's also the author of a new book called Liars and Whores, How Big Government and Big Business Are Working to Save Their Own Assets, Not Yours. You can find out more at his website, liarsandwhores.com, and also ethanbeerman.com. Welcome back to the show, Ethan. Well, Jordan, this is, uh, this is a fun conversation. Let's keep it going. So we just talked about energy. Related to that is environment, and you have a whole chapter on the environment. So the, the common view is the environment is terrible and the climate change we're having all these hurricanes and droughts and all this. We have to do something about it. There's going to be this big international conference at the end of this year. We're going to have global environmental standards. Uh, what's wrong with that? If we don't do something, are we just going to all burn up? Well, look, I consider myself an environmentalist. I really, really do. I'm, I'm actually kind of a tree hugger. And I grew up uh, understanding the environment. I grew up in the 1970s. I grew up in suburban Minneapolis. We had a gigantic... Um, not, it's not quite, it was like a giant garden. We grew lots of crops in our own backyard and we, you know, we did all that kind of stuff. I've been very attuned to the environment. I did an environmental studies course in my undergraduate studies and learned about alternative energies, been very invested and involved in environmental issues my whole life. I mean, look, I want clean air. I want clean water. I want my kids to have a nice world to live in as well. And I really genuinely am concerned with the endless focus on this idea of climate change. I don't care if you're the most hardcore believer, religious zealot on climate change. The problem with the whole conversation, and I cite my grandfather, Bunny, who was a vaudevillian and a magician. He always talked about how magicians have one thing in their hand. It's shiny. It has your attention's on one hand. Let's say it's my left hand while my right hand is doing something else for the trick. And that's how I view the entire focus on climate change. Look, I want to reduce pollution. But when Google's own top engineers who have been studying this problem for years on how to fix it today come out and write in the December 2014 issue of the IEEE Spectrum magazine and say, um, Look, no matter what we do, we're not changing climate change because anything that even if we switched everything today, it won't fix it. 
It's too Joe, late is basically what they're saying. It's we, too late. If, yeah. it, and, and look, climate always changes. It always has. Humans adapt. And if they don't adapt, they, adapt, they die. You know, we had massive droughts in the Western United States a thousand years ago that wiped out Indian tribes. Seriously, there was an 84-year drought of almost no rain. Oh, well, we have Western, that now in California as well. And we're, but this is only a four-year drought, not an 84-year drought. Mm-hmm. So these things happen, and that's where the politicians are supposed to be planning and adapting. I mean, you look at the United Nations Development Program. There's no such thing as a natural disaster to the UNDP. There are situations that happen in the environment that you haven't properly prepared for, and that's how right, I view it. So you're it. saying it's, it's hopeless. There's nothing you can do. So what, how would you do environmental policy? Well, you would not put in anything that Obama's talking about doing. What would you do? Well, again, I focus on geothermal which is the actual solution. It's the only green renewable energy source. Mm-hmm. And it's a baseload power source. Okay. Number two, I would be looking at Transatomic Power's system, their new salt-based uh, reactor uh, that, that actually eats nuclear waste. But more importantly, it's a red herring. I really call it a red herring. When was the last time you were talking about, I don't know, infant formula, breast milk, baby bottles, fire retardant chemicals, computer cases, beauty products, all the things that are poisoning and killing us today? It's all the unregulated chemicals that are killing us today. That's my big concern. So it's the mercury from the coal power plants. And actually, mm-hmm. President Bush signed some of the. He also helped along the sulfur reduction in diesel fuel. Those were big moves that a Republican president did not veto. Yeah. All right, let's move to another topic, which is transportation. So one of the big sources of pollution is cars and coal plants and all that, what would you say is a good solution that you talk about in your book to make transportation more efficient and less polluting? Well, look, there's one simple statistic that should tell everybody what they need to know. Uh, 10,000 people a year dead because of drunk drivers. 100% preventable. You did not need to drink and get behind the wheel. And that's number one. Number two, now it continues trending downward because of all the new safety features that are being put in cars. Even in the latest statistic year, it was over 33,000 people a year died in car crashes. Can you imagine 33,000 people a year dying in plane crashes? Yeah, nothing close to that, right. Right. So what we need, and Google and and Mercedes and General Motors are all over this. Ford now is jumping on board, BMW. Autonomous, self-driving cars. Get us out of the business of driving the car, piloting the car. Look, most airplanes have the autopilot. The pilots really only do stuff at landing and takeoff. The rest of the time, they let the computer drive the airplane, pilot the airplane. Mm -hmm. We should be doing that with cars. We need to be embracing that. Look, it's not Johnny Cab. Do you remember the original Arnold Schwarzenegger Total Recall movie? Yes, yes. (laughs) Johnny Cab didn't let him out of the car. That's not what autonomous cars are about nowadays. You'll still have a steering wheel and a brake pedal and a gas pedal. You can still take over when you need to, but we need to get out of the business of driving cars. Our highways will become much more efficient. We can pack on three times as many cars when we have autonomous vehicles. We also stop killing 33,000 people a year because we're horrible drivers. Are there investment implications? Are there some companies that are worth investing in where autonomous vehicles would be a significant part of their business? Well, I actually think that this is where Google continues to uh, justify their market valuation, number one. I really see Mercedes-Benz. I don't even know. Are they publicly traded, Mercedes? I don't even know. Yes, yes, it is. So they are. Okay, because I know that there was a big sovereign investment. Daimler-Benz is the company. Daimler. So Daimler has been an absolute leader 
on uh, the functions in vehicles, you know, self-parking, automatically adjusting radar uh, that adjusts your cruise control, auto stopping now is their newest. They're ahead of the curve. I'll tell you what, though, as far as an American company, it's 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 uh, Lincoln and General Motors are both doing some great things on this on this uh, end of it. So those are also places I would be looking from an investment perspective. I want to jump to another topic, which is education. So we're putting a huge amount. We have this $1.3 trillion in student loan debt. Uh, tuitions are going up at ridiculous rates. It's, it's killing the middle class in many cases. What would your prescription be to make education better? Well, first off, uh, there, there are a couple of different things. From, from the primary and secondary education perspective, we need to start having choice. Uh, I am all for choice. I believe that one size fits all serves nobody and fails almost everybody. Lastly, on that topic, um, the, the standardized testing is really problematic. And I know the testing industry loves it because they make a lot of money, as does the textbook industry when we start talking about Common Core, because now you have to buy all new textbooks. And I'm sorry to the investors in those businesses, but I'm totally against that idea. Do so you like but, charter schools, for example, as far as choice? I think charter schools are okay. I really think that the ultimate move is a voucher system. And I get to choose a public school, and public schools have to be uh, backstopped, so they have to be in existence. It can't move entirely away from public schools, but I think it has to be a voucher system. So if I want to send my kid to a, you know, a valid school and it's a Catholic school, or if it's a Jewish school, or if it's a completely, it's a Montessori or a Waldorf school, I think that should be a voucher for that. And that makes the public schools have to compete. Competition is always a good thing in the end. Competition breeds better outcomes. It but just simply does. Teachers union would not like this. I mean, they would they just don't charter schools as it is, right? Yeah, so they, how they would you own. overcome the teachers' unions to offer uh, vouchers? That that's again where it becomes a, a grassroots issue. We need to be speaking up and saying, "I don't care what the teachers' union is saying. This is what matters." And by the way, a large number of people in my family are educators, and they understand that it's administrative and standardized testing overhead that is a major problem. Look, if education isn't about how you're educating the kid in the classroom today, then it's not about education. It's about making money for somebody. So that's at the K through 12. How about at the, at the college level? Well, nobody is addressing the cost structure. I, I was vocal in my opposition to California's Proposition 30 a couple of years ago, which was another $6 billion for education. And it never addressed the fundamental corporate structure problems of higher education. We have fundamental corporate structure problems in higher education when we're never addressing the cost, the expense side of the line, all their ever addressing is including Hillary Clinton's latest proposal, which is being announced today. It's all about revenue. It's never about the expense side. Nobody is taking the time to review defined benefit pension plans must go away. First of all, now if you talk to colleges and college presidents, they're saying they're cutting their budgets to the absolute bone every time. And it's an absolute last resort that they raise tuition. So that's what they're going to tell you. Sure. Yeah. And I've, I've, look, I've, I've worked in many big companies and been through the budgeting processes. And that's what everybody argues every single time. There's no way I can, it's because they're all part of the same system. They don't bring in an objective viewpoint from the outside, you know? So for example, in the financial business, you're supposed to have these auditors that yes. come in. They're supposed mm -hmm. to be independent auditors. Well, where are the independent auditors visiting higher education? And I, private institutions can do whatever the heck they want because they're private. They're not taking tax dollars at that Well, they're point. taking it indirectly through research grants and things. So, for research example, you, you think tenure should go would be a ex good example to save them a lot of money. I think tenure is 
there's an argument for tenure and there's an argument against it, but I still look now, I would actually start with defined benefit pension plans. I would look at overstaffing and administrative overhead and uh, the corporate structure before I even get to things like tenure. But so you're saying it could be restructured uh, and and make it a better value. It, it's it's a, as you say, it's, it's too many kind of interests keeping the cost the way they are. Yeah, there's just simply no question. How else do you explain tripling the rate of inflation for twenty plus years? Well, they're also building a lot of facilities. What I call the edifice complex, right, where they're building new stadiums and new <laughs> dorms and all kinds of wonderful facilities, and then they have to maintain these things. And they're building an enormous infrastructure that has to be kept up. Well, there again, you're taking a, an intelligent businessman's approach to it. Is this a justifiable investment with the ongoing operating expense of that capital investment? And people are willing to do it. I mean, I went to Amherst College, which is now about 65000 a year. I think there's 150 colleges over 60000 a year or something like that. Yet people are willing to do it, and they got 10 people applying for every space because of the prestige or something. It, it kind of defies the logic of normal capitalism that people are willing to pay that much for a d- diploma. Well, and then we get into the whole idea of there are between three and four million unfilled blue-collar jobs in this country. Yes. I know a guy that's a millionaire with a chimney-sweeping business in Nashville. <laughs> exactly. I'm not kidding. No, there's a tremendous shortage of people in that area. You're right. All right, we've got to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ethan Bierman. He's a nationally syndicated talk show radio host. Uh, his new book is called Liars and Whores, How Big Government and Big Business Are Working to Save Their Own Assets, Not Yours. Uh, there's a website related to the book, which is liarsandandwhores.com and his website, ethanbeerman.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ethan Bierman. He's a nationally syndicated talk show radio host. He's also the author of a new book called Liars and Whores. There's a website for that, which is liarsandandwhores.com. 
And you can also find out more about him at his website, ethanbeerman.com. Welcome back to the show, Ethan. No, thanks, Jordan. I really appreciate being here with you. So the drug war is another thing you talk about. So uh, we've got this movement now where we have legalization of uh, marijuana in uh, Colorado and Washington for medical marijuana. So everything's going fine. So what's the problem with the drug war right now? Well, the problem with the drug war is the federal government. The federal government still has the drug war going on. This still dates back to Richard Nixon. And so we've spent over a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars. Think about this now for a second. We have spent over a trillion dollars on a problem. We've incarcerated hundreds of thousands of people. And we've made no, I mean, no measurable impact on the consumption of illegal drugs in the United States of America. Can you imagine anything where you would spend a trillion dollars, 40 plus years on it, making no difference and saying we need to continue doing the same thing? Well, how about the Iraq war? That was an example. <laughs> yeah, but that was a very short term and uh, it has well, had very 10 interesting- years, But it was a trillion dollars, but similar, yes. So, yes. but in this particular area, so what difference is it making now that you have these two states and more states going to be making it legal in, in the future? Is that starting to solve the problem, creating revenues for government and kind of undercutting the black market? Well, it is and it isn't because you still have candidates like Hillary Clinton and Chris Christie saying that they will enforce the federal law. Now, I fully support Washington and Colorado in their full legalization of cannabis. And the important thing here is we call it marijuana because that became the word used during reefer madness post-prohibition. We've been through this before. Something very simple like alcohol we outlawed, and that created Al Capone and others. And we realized it was problematic. You cannot legislate morality. Legislating morality doesn't work. So let, why not legalize tax and regulate like alcohol and tobacco, which is exactly what Washington and Colorado are doing. And Colorado, for example, has seen $50 million in tax revenue. They haven't seen the increase in uh, driving under the influence deaths and accidents. They haven't seen the negative side that all the scaremongers were, were sharing, but they've seen the net positive of tax revenues. Let's go to another topic, which is free trade. We have uh, President Obama pushing for this TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, wanting to uh, ally all these countries around the Pacific, basically against China, uh, and that would open up all kinds of markets for us. It's a potential thing in Europe as well. So what's wrong with uh, free trade? Well, it's, uh, actually, his approach on free trade is exactly what's wrong with his approach on the Iran deal. And I see him circumventing and undermining the United States Constitution. That is the founding document. That is the foundation. That is the framework of the, our entire country, what makes us different from others. And one of the key aspects of the Constitution is Article 2, which says any foreign treaty must be uh, approved by the Senate by a two thirds vote. So I am totally against Congress abdicating their responsibility through fast track trade authority, number one. And number two, anytime you entangle us in foreign affairs without a two thirds vote, I am totally, totally against. And then I mean, we can get even into the idea of the TPP. My problem there is you get into everything like intellectual property. I have a problem with copyright protections being extended in essentially eternally now, thank you, Walt Disney, among others, that we go to 99 years. It was supposed to be the life of the creator plus 25. And now we're at 99 years. It'll go way past 99 years. It's going to go in perpetuity the way things are going. That's not at all the way these things are supposed to work. And that's why we have a broken patent system that's gone way overboard and we get into the patent trolls and everything else. Now, with TPP, I mean, there may be fast track authority, but the Congress will vote 
on it up or down. So they will have a vote about it. So it's not <laughs> simple, simple majority up or down. Then there's going to be no argument. They're not going to allow a debate. Number two, my biggest problem with the TPP, and this was the one that actually makes me very upset and why more people aren't upset about it is actually baffling to me. You, Jordan, and I are not allowed to look at the trade deal. We're not allowed. Even our legislator can only go in to the trade office alone with no technology, no aids, view it in the trade office, U.S. trade office, and then leave, and they can't take any copy of it. They can't take pictures of it. Nobody is allowed to actually see what is in well, this that, trade that's deal. that's not well known at all. <laughs> I don't think Until not. we vote on it. And that's what I write about in my book, and that's part of the reason. It is absolutely unconstitutional. It's, and it's kind of like Obamacare. You'll find out what it is after we passed it, kind of. And how well did that work out? <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, another topic you talk about is cybersecurity. We've had all these major break-ins and hacks from Sony to the U.S. government personnel office and all that. Uh, what, what can be done to improve our cybersecurity? Because it doesn't seem like anything is safe from hacks these days. Well, they're really kind of uh, three key things. One, it really is your fault. You're going to have to make an effort for it. That's number one. It's going to take a little work. I break some of that detail down in the book. And then number two is Silicon Valley is going to have to do a better job to make better security easier for us. And they're working on that. Apple and Google and others keep making little by little progress on that. I mean, like the finger ID, touch ID from Apple on the new iPhones and iPads is a step in the right direction. But number three as well is really we have to start holding people accountable. Imagine that. I'm talking about private business too. So when Sony Pictures Entertainment, when the CTO of Sony Pictures Entertainment said, Eh, it's going to cost me 10 million bucks to implement proper security. It's cheaper for me to get hacked and pay a million bucks to deal with the after effects of the, of the hack. Hey, that's a simple return on investment calculation. No, if that's the case and businesses aren't doing the right thing, and we know that they're not because we keep getting reports week after week after week, and I happen to have a background in security as well, and I know that they're not because it's an expense and it's troublesome and it's cumbersome to do. What we need now is for our legislators to stay up and say, stand up and say, okay, you're going to start getting million-dollar fines for these infractions, $10 million fines, $100 million fines, whatever it takes. So the businesses start saying, yeah, that's too much work to actually put in real security. I'm going to make it cost so much for you not to protect it that it suddenly is going to be worth the cost. You end your book with what you call Capitalism 2.0. So what is the vision of how it could be done better as we close our interview here? You know, I have an example of a boss I used to work for, and he was the greatest. He's a conservative. He's a real, true conservative Republican. And it came down to him having morality and ethics in the workplace, in the business that he owned, that he made tens of millions of dollars from, okay? For example, one of my coworkers came down with cancer and with terminal cancer. And the owner of the company said, his name is David Wicker. He's a great guy. And um, he said, guess what? You're going to get full pay, full benefits until the end. And even after you pass away to take care of your family for a little while. And so it begins with morality and ethics and applying that in all aspects of our lives. Don't have multiple ethical selves, something that you would never do at home with your own family. Don't take that to the workplace and think, well, this is how I'm going to treat my customers. That is a starting point. And just summing up in about a minute we have left, what difference can it make if people read your book, Liars and Whores, 
uh, to kind of understand the economic world we're living in today. Well, first off, I start talking about ideas that you probably have never even heard before. I guarantee there are things I have said in talking to you today, Jordan, that people have never heard of, never thought about. And that's the full intent of my book is to start planting ideas on different ways of looking at the key issues facing us, our country, and our world today. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Ethan Bierman. He's a nationally syndicated talk show radio host and author of the new book we've been talking about, Liars and Whores, How Big Government and Big Business Are Working to Save Their Own Assets, Not Yours. You can find out about it at his website, which is liarsandandthewhores.com, and also at ethanbeerman.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Ethan. Jordan, it's an absolute pleasure. Great to talk with you today. Thanks so much. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.